You're gonna dig this. The Fly Fidelity Podcast is the solution. It's the best. Check it out. You wanna get super fly, fly. Details just ahead. Do you love credible content, but, but, but hate how long you have to wait? And who wants super thick and frothy dumpster juice with rat corpses in it? There's a better way. Fly Fidelity. Fly Fidelity. Fly Fidelity. Fly Fidelity. Fly. Fly. Fly Fidelity. Fidelity. Fly Fidelity Podcast. Fly Fidelity, baby. Fidelity, baby. Fidelity. With your host, Luke Bailey. Fly Fidelity, what's going on and welcome to episode 54 featuring special guest Ernie Erndog Medina, producer, host, artist and musician. We discuss his come up with LA freestyle group Days, as well as 30 years of soul assassins. Enjoy the conversation. Talk about days. How, how does days come about? Well, days started because <laughs> you want me to tell you the truth? <laughs> Please. Okay. So, um, I had a girlfriend at the time coming out of out of out of you know when we were st- we were DJing at a place called the Casa Camino Real. Okay. And uh, I brought her to Tony G. Okay. And she wanted to sing. So we, we started working with her, with, with Tony. And then we took her over to, that's where I'm going to bring Unknown DJ at. We took mm-hmm. her to the Unknown DJ and he put her on um, one, of, uh, uh, one of his singles called Breakdown. And uh, it did very well out here and he, he liked it. So um, he said he wanted to give her her own record. So... Um, he actually produced her first record. I might not want to say her name, but if people want to go do the research, they can. Gave her her own record. And um, I did, um, that was my first probably editing work. And uh, um, I did the edits with a gentleman named DJ Peeble, who was probably one of the biggest DJs in LA at that time when it came to, when it came to, uh, um, you know, dance music and and house music and disco dj people was really big he also did a um he also worked for lowrider magazine and 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 uh you know we did that edit and we put that song out you know so so that's kind of where that started so i started with that and um we had a um like i was kind of her manager and 
makeshift everything because we didn't have anything at that time. But once that little bit of noise started happening, um, she signed to a manager, which was uh, Maury Alexander at the time, who um, was Jerry Heller's partner. Oh, really? Yes, Jerry Heller and Maury Alexander were partners. And so he got her, started getting her moving. And so once that connection happened, she went on her own way. Right. And just left everything that I was doing and just went and signed with the manager, left what I was doing, went to go live on her own with somebody else. And, you know, it just it just split. So that left a really bad taste in my mouth. So um, <laughs> my friend Bobby, hmm. which if we're going to go into history, he uh, I was introduced to my friend Bobby through uh, my other friend, Julio G, who is also a mega staple here in the West Coast. That's right when it comes to DJing and it comes to comes to everything. You know, I was really good friends with Julio. Like he was a, he was a backyard DJ at the, at the time also here. Um, I would see him at all the parties and he would be scratching. So I would mix on the left-hand side on one party. I remember I was mixing and he, he would mix this song and then give him the right side so he could scratch and mm. then mix the left song and then give him the right hand so he could scratch, you know, and, and he was really good. So, he introduced me to Bobby, and uh, at one time, Bobby told me, I, I, I can write, I can sing. And I'm like, all right. So Bobby came to my house, and, and we, we started putting some together. So then again, I took him to Tony once again, which is kind of like I said, he's the, he's the melting pot of everything, Tony G. Mm. I took, I, me and Bobby went to Tony, and we said, hey, we want to do a song. And that's when Tony first got his uh, SP-1200 drum machine. Um, he, Tony G also did... Um, uh, Kid Frost, uh, and which which is in out here in the West Coast is, was the originator of of Spanish and English, yeah. or, or it, it originator of Chicano rap. He's the Godfather, absolutely. Yeah. So you know we were working with him, and we were working with uh, Mellow Manes yeah. at the time. So I took Bobby over there, and um, uh, 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 we did the Girl record. Tony produced it. Um, he, we went to a big studio, we recorded it. And then me and my friend Juan, which was one of my partners in DJ and Juan, Juan V, DJ Juan V at the time, he had connections to a couple record stores in, um, on Melrose. And, uh, we took the demo to, uh, uh, one of the record stores on Melrose. The owner's name was Larry. Um, and he said, okay, I'll, I'll press this record. I like it, you know, because it was freestyle and it was just starting. And, and that was that was like, you know, he's he seen it. He's like, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll press it. So he pressed up, I think, maybe 500 copies. Um, and this was pre pre Internet, pre social media. So if something's happening in another city and you're not in tune with that city, you have no idea it's anything that's going on. So a few months go by and we don't see anything happening with the record. We just put the record out. It was called, it wasn't called girl. I think it was called something else. I don't remember what it was called. Uh, where are you? And it was on a really small label. Uh, I get a phone call from uh, a gentleman from JDC records, which was the big distributor out here. Um, they distributed all the dance music and they were connected with Makola records and they, 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 they were like the distributor. So I get a call and, uh, the gentleman said that, hey, Ernie, um, what are you guys doing with this day's record? I'm like, we're not doing anything. It's just, it's there. He goes, um, 
are you guys going to press anymore? I'm like, I'm not sure. So I called Larry and asked him. He said, no, I'm not going to press anymore. That's, that's all I'm going to do. So, I, you know, I said, no, we're not going to press anymore. That's it. And the gentleman said, well, I got, there's a guy in San Jose who wants to, uh, who wants to pick it up. I'm like, oh yeah, who's this guy? And he said, well, it's upstairs record. They're a record store in San Jose. And uh, I'm going to give him your number so he can call you. I'm like, that's fine. So I get a call from John Lopez and he's like, hey, I love this record. Are you guys going to make any more? And I'm like, no, that's, that's it. That's, that's what we're doing. And he's like, well, I'd like to pick that record up. I'm like, okay. So we called Larry and, you know, Larry said, all right, just give me this, this amount of money for it. So whatever, whatever their, that amount was, I'm not sure I wasn't, I didn't, wasn't in that conversation. So he picked it up and he goes, Ernie, if, if you sign this contract with me, I guarantee you, I'll have you on the radio. I'm like, what? Cause it wasn't really playing on the radio out here in LA. LA was a tough market, <laughs> even though we were connected to it, it was kind of a tough market for us. So, um, we signed, we signed with, we signed this deal with upstairs records and, uh, um, he flies me and my partner Juan. Um, and I think Bobby came with us. He flied us all. He flew us up, up to San Jose and they were having a, a big concert. Um, they used to call it hot day, hot day in the Bay. It was from, um, 97.7, um, it was a radio station. And the minute we get out, get out of the, uh, out of the airplane and into the car, our songs playing on the radio when they wow. pick us up and we're like wow this is crazy so right there we're thinking wow this guy is incredible but but the backstory on that is he bought all the records he bought most of the 500 records for his store and in the bay area that song blew up it was playing on the radio it was already playing on the radio in the bay area on hot 97 all the hot djs were playing it so it was a big record i we didn't know in la because we didn't know we you know it just there was no social media no nothing right. so we, we just didn't work from privy so when we got there we're thinking wow you did this in two weeks but it had, had, had already been been going for a while amazing so that was kind of the beginning of of that you know i was mad because I broke up with that girl and I was like, I don't need you. I'll, I can, I could, I could do this better than you can. You know, you, it was me, whatever, you know, one of those ego things at the time, which, you know, it, it, it was just that. And then it actually happened that, you know, this group ended up being bigger than anything that she had done. <laughs> so you mentioned you know, the studio you're recording this, at, as well as all the other releases on upstairs records, wildcat studios, they, it, it kind of laid the blueprint for those earliest foundations of the West Coast sound in a way, I guess, what is it that sticks out most about those sessions when you were recording as days? And what, what is it that you remember about seeing Kid Frost, Booyah Tribe and other artists pulling up in a studio? Well, you got to understand they were pulling up to Tony G's grandmother's house. Right. That was where we did everything. You know, it wasn't really, it's not like it, it would seem like we were on the studio at the time. When we did the day sessions, those were just, it was just me, Tony, my partner, Juan, Bobby, and maybe a few other, other people in the studio. Because at that time, studio was very expensive. So, you know, we didn't have the budget to be sitting on. So we went in to go record that song. We recorded the song. We got the tapes and we're out. You know, mm. a lot of the pre-recording or a lot of the pre-stuff was done at um, in El Monte at the G-Spot, which was Tony G's. Um, mother's garage 
which where the melomanase was 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 created where where the kid frost was created where where uh, the booyah tribe stuff was created um out of out of that out of that place We weren't, we weren't, we didn't have a budget to sit in the studio in a, you know, a big, big studio like Wildcat mm. where, you know, when we got there, we had to have everything programmed. Everything was written. Everything was done. Let's go get it in, get our, try to get it, everything done in six hours, you know, everything recorded and vocalized. So we don't, you know, we're keeping it to a minimum. Mm. Apart from making music in those years, what, what do you remember most about that time? It was fun. It was a good time. It was, it was just, um, we were, everything was opening up, you know, and just different experiences were opening up, yeah. you know? Yeah. I went from, I went from, you know, DJing and to getting into production, learning how to produce because I, I didn't know how to produce. I, I sat, I learned with Tony. I learned from Tony, you know, I learned how to DJ from my partner, Tyrone, total experience back in the day. And then I learned, really learned how to DJ with Tony G and learned the, 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 the nuances of DJing with Tony G and, and nuances of making music with him. Everybody went through his door, Cypress Hill. Everybody went through Tony G's door. You know, not everybody made it out of Tony G's door, you know, because he was, uh, if, if you didn't rap on beat or you didn't, your words weren't this, you know, you, you did, didn't, you didn't last long. Well, you mentioned Cypress Hill. Fast forward to 1990. You know, DJ Muggs has moved to LA. He's moved from Queens. He's already established himself as a DJ, but he's pushed those limits. You know, he, he's, he's outdone himself as a DJ pretty much. He's on the cusp of producer for Cypress Hill. At which point do you meet each other? When does, when does Muggs come into the picture? Well, Muggs, um, Muggs met Julio G like 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 i told you julio g earlier he was like we, we grew we we lived not too far from each other so we always hung out um and bobby you know those were the, julio was bobby's friend um mugs lived in bell gardens which was you know the next city over from where i was was staying and bobby told me one day hey let's go visit my friend mugs uh, uh, he's a dj you know he's he he, he dj's with, with with julio i'm like cool so uh, um, Bobby took me over there, um, and it was, it was Mug, uh, Muggs' mom's, you know, I think it's an apartment and he, you know, he lived with his mom in the apartment and it was just funny. Like the only thing that were in his room were two turntables and his bed. And he was there with a girlfriend at the time. I can't remember who she was. And he had a cool, cool van that was in the back that we would kick back in the van. That was, that was the first time I met Muggs. That was pre- Pre Cyprus, that was pre seven eight three. It was still like you know we were still doing you know 
I was DJing doing high school parties for with with K-Day because K-Day would come and do a big party at uh, Bell High School and it would be a big deal. And we had uh, Easy E there and we had uh, 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 we just had a lot of big artists that would follow us to these high schools because it was a radio gig. You know, they would. Oh, let, let's have oh Bobby Brown. It was Bobby Brown at one time that we did. And this was, you know those type of things and that's kind of at the time when i met when i met mugs and it was it was brief like I, i'm not going to say that we hung out and we were buddy buddy at that time it was brief i went there because bobby took me and i got to meet him so he knew who i was i knew who he was and 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 that was kind of where we left it for a while like i i i wasn't around his growth at at, at that time i was over here doing this other thing right right I was over here build, building days and working working the days thing what year is this oh man um 93 94 92 something. it was still early 90s this, this would have been post him winning the dmc west coast title which if i'm right he wins in 89 if, if i'm not getting that timeline mistaken it, it, okay, so then it was probably at that time. Okay, because you know, you know who was the, you know who was the, uh, the judge for that was, was Tony G. Oh really? Wow, Tony G was yeah, everywhere. Tony G, Tony G was the judge. Tony G was the judge of that event, or one of the judges in that event. Tony G was actually he lost, which people there say he didn't lose, because it was in New York, and I, the Tony that I knew. There's no way anybody is going to beat him at this time. But he lost to uh, Jazzy Jeff in New York because Jazzy Jeff was East Coast. Right. And East Coast would never let a West Coast DJ come and win in New York. It just wasn't going to happen. <laughs> but I wasn't there. But, you know, I'm hearing from Tony and I've seen it and, I, and he ate him up. But, you know, that was Did that. you have that footage? But, uh, yeah. It was, don't, don't, um, I don't know. I, I think somebody does. Or 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 not, because you know that was who had cameras back. True. Who, who was videotaping back? Yeah. You know, it, it was it was it was kind of crazy, but um, but that's where that was where you know, where 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 mugs came involved, and then mugs got, got introduced to the Cypress camp through Julio. Um, you know, um, um. We had a club in Southgate that we all played at, um, um, and I, it was like I, I don't know what, what what night it was, and, and then Julio said he was was with uh, was with Mugs, and they were talking. See, Julio didn't have turntables, but he was good at at at, at scratching and mixing. So he you know he would work with 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 Mugs. He would say, "You have turntables. I'll come. Let me come practice with you at your house, and we'll practice." Mm. So he would go to Mugs's house to practice. And, and and because Muggs had turntables and he wanted to learn that way, and Muggs is quick to to learn stuff. Once he once he puts his mind to it, he's quick to learn stuff. So him and Julio were just constantly practicing. So that's where that came from. And um, Julio was at that time he was DJing for. Um, uh, I, I think the name was I, I can remember the name was the name was a DVX or DMX or I think it was DVX. Yeah. And that was uh, Mellow Man Ace, uh, Send Dog, and Be Real. 
and maybe a couple other the neighborhood guys. Troy, uh, 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 Troy lived across the street. I'm not sure if he was rapping at that time. T-Bone um, from Funk Dubious. Uh, I'm not sure if he was rapping at that time, but he was he was a neighbor from across the street on, off of Cypress Ave. So um, Mellow Man Ace is, at this time is about to blow up. You know, to, you know, Tony, Julio took um, Mellow to Tony because uh, when he was signed, they didn't really have any a, a record that was that was that was going to work that the majors were saying, this is what we need. So uh, Julio took Mello over to Tony and said, you know, I, I think we can get a record from him and which he did, which was Mentirosa and a few other like Welcome to My Groove, a few other, you know, of his biggest records came from that. So once that started happening, Mello started getting major, major, uh, um, you know, exposure. And, and who, you know, he told Julio, you're going to be my DJ. Mm -hmm. So Julio had to, um, Julio had to, um, um, he left, uh, uh, you know, Sanon and, and Be Real, and he, he introduced them to Muggs. And, and, uh, um, Muggs just started hanging out with them. You know, everybody smoked weed. Everybody smoked weed at the time. Listen to rock music. We listen to hip hop music. So we all kind of had the same, same uh, uh, likings and music. And 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 they started hanging out with them. So that was that was probably around the same time that um, Muggs got connected with uh, with Seven Eight Three because I guess right. Seven Eight Three was playing in a. I don't want to get the story wrong because you know I wasn't there. So this is just secondhand. Um, you know, he covered for a DJ who didn't show up. Um, you know, they, they, and they, and they, the, the, I guess the DJ that they had before wasn't really a DJ. And when they seen Muggs DJ and they're like, oh no, you're with us. And so that's how he got connected with 783 and he just got, you know, to build his foundation through them. Right. And, and, um, get he you know he was on tour with public enemy he was on tour with just huge groups with, with when he was with 783 so he was able to understand that but he never left his he never left he always had the homies over here that he was like i'm gonna bring you guys i'm gonna bring you guys when you know once i get once i get my input and and, and you know and he was always he always wanted to work he wanted to learn how to do it what was so crazy about that period was that he was never credited for anything he did on those records was he um Probably not. It's crazy when you think about that now. Well, but he, but, but see, those are learning periods. You know, most people didn't. You know what I'm saying? Most, most of us, you know, it was just learning period. You know, like uh, I guess when seven eight three was, I'm not there, so you know, this is just this I appreciate just stories that. that I've heard. Uh, th these are stories that I've heard. You know, he, you know, he's in the studio with seven eight three while they're, while they're making their first album, and Joe the Butcher, mm. and he's like. He's, he's telling Brett, hey, Brett, tell Joe to use a different snare. Hey, hey tell, tell Joe to use his kick. Hey, hey tell Joe to raise this. Mm. You know, he wouldn't, he would tell Brett to, or, or, or Sean to do it. And, and, you know, they got to the point, no, you tell him, you know? And then, you know, that's where he got his, you know, like I learned from Tony G, he really learned a lot of, a lot about production because they didn't know about production at that time on how to make a record sitting with, sitting with Joe the Butcher. This is first wave. Yes. So he's coming home and bringing that home, finding out what drum machine, buying the drum machine, buying the stuff, learning how to do it, slowly building his own thing. 
Well, speaking of building, you know, fast forward to 1990, Cypress Hill happened. Long story short, of course, Cypress Hill are formed. Can you remember your first time hearing that self-titled Cypress Hill album? Um, wow. Uh, we used to we used to hang out on Cypress. Like I would go with with Julio. We would go. I would go with Bobby. We would go. We would go to Mello's house. Mello lived on Cypress Avenue, which was the was the was the little mecca where everybody hung out and everybody smoked. Frost would come through. Uh, DJ Ralph M would be there. And it, it, if I can remember correctly, that's probably where I first heard it. But it wasn't really until. It wasn't really till um, Julio and I went to the movies. We went to go see, um, like I said, I was I was doing I was doing this thing. I was yeah. doing the days thing over here, so I really wasn't in that circle. So I can't, you know, I can't speak on that like that. But the first time, me and Julio, we would hang out all the time. I'd go to his house. We'd work out in his garage. We would listen to mixtapes. We would listen to like whoever was hot at the time, bumping it and just just working out. Uh, we went to the movie theater and we, we went to go see Juice. Mm. And the fur when Killer Man came out, we looked at each other like, fuck, you know, this is fucking <laughs> going to be crazy. Those are the homies. You know what I'm saying? They're, Tupac is really, and we're hearing a song and it's like, oh shit. So that was really when it really became something. We're like, oh, these dudes are going to be, it's, it's going to be a whole different thing. And it was a different sound. It was a different sound for LA. That was not. That was not. That was not what was being played in, in LA at the time. legend is and like i said i wasn't there this is just me speaking on it and, and, and didn't take it at that um that most of those songs were for 783 second album wow and um since they were on geffen records geffen that was the first rap group ever on geffen records was they had a different different look on rap music and they wanted something different so they felt it was too dark hmm. And that they would, it wouldn't work. Maybe, maybe it wouldn't work for that group. I don't know if they didn't think it would work at all, or they didn't think it would work for that group. So most of that, or a lot of that first Cypress record was Seven Eight Three's second record that they just did not pick up and just became 
became that mugs is a mugs will have five six different people rap on a beat until he finds what he likes you know he's not afraid to well he somebody else rapped on the beat he'll put somebody else on the beat real quick to till it find till he finds what he likes you know this is this is what i'm looking yeah incredible he's a mastermind and we're we're talking about a time where we're talking about a time when a lot of people from new york thought the cypress hill were from new york as well weren't we Yes, because there there was a, there's a city in, Cy- in in New York called Cypress Hill, and and they were and if you listen to the early if you listen to the early, and that's where Ram LZ, Ram LZ was from, or or that that area or or you know that that's where you first heard right. that Cypress. That's so if you go back and listen to the Cypress Hill, Cypress, that's Ram LZ, and you know the, the, they were from Cypress. Now, you know, um, Sendog and, 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 and Mellow from Cypress. So Cypress Hill, like, oh, I'm, I'm not sure if that was Muggs' idea. I don't know whose idea it was to, to call it Cypress Hill, but legend is that's where, you know, that's where that came from. And, and you know, people from New York, when, you know, their, whole, their first video was shot in New York, it has that New York public enemy, uh, uh, you know, ultrasound, uh, 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 you know, ultrasonic MC, you know, just that, that whole New York's grimy sound. And, and so they were not like, like I said, nobody in LA had that sound. So you would not have, you would not have mistaken it like as an LA group, because that just was not, that's what, that's what Muggs was into aggressive, noisy hip hop. That was just, just aggressive, you know? Yeah, what made Cypress Hill so great, and I think Muggs' sound is that it was the opposite of control. It was so disruptive back then. 100%. We talked 100%. about, you know, the first wave of hip-hop. When you think about hip-hop morphing in those earliest days on the West Coast, which we were talking about earlier, what do you think changed production-wise between the first and second wave of hip-hop? It slowed down. It slowed down with the with the with the Cypress Hills. It slowed down with the um, with the NWAs. You know, I I, I, I really want to say that you know that that NWA really followed the sound of the Cypress Hill, and they you know they kind of base, you know, kind of followed that sound. I think that's kind of when it changed. I mean, who knows? We all we, we everybody's inspired by everybody. You yeah. know. Uh, uh, Dr. Dre was doing electro music, you know, when he was working world class wrecking crew, you know, that was that because that was the L.A. hip hop sound. You know, and then once he hooked up with with, with Eric, with Easy, he, um, it, you know, things he's everything kind of slowed down. But that was already, if I'm not mistaken, Cypress was already starting to, you know, slow things down. Your life sped up. You know what I mean? As a group, Cypress changed everything, and as a producer, Mugs changed everything. But your life was sped up moving forward when you meet Mugs. What are your strongest memories working as an assistant engineer for Dust in 2003? That would have been the first time, you know, Mugs isn't working with Columbia, and the first time he's releasing an album as a solo artist outside of Cypress Hill. So, so Mugs used to work at. Um... He had this studio on on um, Lancashire. I, th- I think it's American, if I want to call it correctly. Where he, that was really his base. Uh, he would always where he would lock out American for six months, seven months. And he would do all the work there. Um, I met back with Mugs like years later, and uh, through um, 
one of my other partners, Fred Reck, you know, Fred Reck owned a house in, in the in the valley. And a, a, another friend of mine, his name is Block, who's a photographer. He's from Venice, a big photographer. Nice. So, you know, uh, Fred was having a party at his house for his birthday or for something or whatever. And, and, and Muggs came, Muggs, Muggs was there. And um, that was kind of where we linked back up again. He was like, oh, shoot, I remember. And, you know, we started talking like, I remember this. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, where's Bobby? Where's this? And, we're, oh. and we just, you know, just linked back up like like if nothing ever happened. And we started hanging out more. I, hey, what are you doing today? Let's go. go, go. Let's go here. Let's go have lunch here. Let's go. Let's go see this show. Let's go see this movie. You know what I mean? And then we started hanging out. And then um, that was around the time where he purchased his, purchased his, his studio, which is in Burbank. Um, and he just bought this building with, with, with two, two apartments in the back and he started building his studio. So now he's on his own and he's like, Hey, do you know how to do this? Yeah, I can do that. Oh, come on. Can, come help me out with this. Come help me out with that. And that's where that started becoming like, you know, Hey, do you know how to record vocals? Yeah, I can record your vocals. Okay. Record these vocals for me or, or, or help me do this or how, you know, uh, help me do this. And that's kind of where, where that started that's when we started I, I i think we had done something before dust but dust might might have been the you know was what really started having me do work you know what i mean and then i'm, I'm not I'm, i wasn't a real engineer you know i i just recorded i learned from what i learned from me doing what i do i never went to engineering school i just learned from tony g how to record what sounded good what didn't sound good how to use equipment how not to use equipment and so that gave me like the, the the little input to start with mugs. You know what I'm saying? DJ Mugs, Mark Shearer, CNN Entertainment News, New York. Beatles fame, Ringo Starr taking time off to produce an album with some of the biggest rock and roll stars of the time. It may be a bit of an exaggeration, but that is kind of what has happened in the rap world with the arrival of a solo album from DJ Muggs of Cypress Hill. There's more science fiction and less gangsta imagery here than you'd expect from a CD called Soul Assassins. Muggs explains. Back in the days when we first started making music, we all we were sampling is soul records. And we kill them, we chop them up into little pieces and re-flip them and take eight different songs take a little piece of each one and turn it into one song like a collage kind of the reaction of my peers and the reaction to columbia records was um you know they viewed this record as dj Muggs' solo album you know at the time i was producing beastie boys ice cube um cypress krs one i was producing a lot of things you know what i mean so columbia records was excited to give me a deal for a solo record you know and instead of just being the DJ Muggs album, I decided to make the album my crew, the Soul Assassins, you know, and get some of the best MCs at the time, you know, it's the baddest motherfuckers on the planet at the time, and, and you know, bring them into my world, into my projects, and just to create a world, a sonic world, that was the flow on it, man. And um, everybody was down, so whoever, you know, I reached out to brothers, and I reached out to, you know, everybody on the album, and everybody's like, yeah, I got you, let's go. Oh shit, hell yeah, let's go, let's go, because, some of the brothers been wanting to work with me. I've been wanting to work with some of them, you know what I mean? So it was a chance to get together and just, you know, make shit happen, man. You know, working on the album in 97, there wasn't one artist I was more excited to work with for the next because I was basically a fan of everybody on the record, you know, except some of the newer acts. It was, it was a chance to like give them a, a platform, you know what I mean, to launch from. And some of the newer acts were some of the first projects that they ever had out, you know what I mean? Like Call the Wild, 
infamous mob, you know, that, that was infamous mobs, like first record, you know what I mean? So, you know, I put that on there and you know, covered the East Coast, the West Coast, the South. I recorded the MC8 song in New York in the famous D&D studios, you know what I mean? It came out to New York, we got in the lab, and um, we banged it out, yo. The ad-libs were mad melodic and killer over that harp, and um, she was a beast. Well, just how to record vocals. You know, knowing how to record vocals and 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 knowing how to track a, a track a drum machine and track a beat and you know know knowing how to track and record was what i you know what i learned from from tony um that's what i brought to the table with mugs and also with fred fred rec was was doing a lot of stuff and i was helping fred and and a lot of the things that i a lot of the techniques i learned of recording i learned with fred and you know or or like uh, um or helping Fred out record uh, corrupt uh, Nate Dog, you know, it would that was all at that same time. And then he would maybe Mugs would see, oh, you recorded that, yeah. Well, can you come and help me do this? I'm like, sure, let's go. You know, we would go record, and then we would take off and go to Venice and party all night, and you know, come back and record more. You know. What's going on if you are still listening to this episode and enjoying the podcast? Why not become a patron of Fly Fidelity at patreon.com slash flyfidelity. Becoming a patron means you are directly supporting our show and helping us to create a new episode each and every week. It also means that as a thank you for being a super supporter, you'll be able to access exclusive content to you, including patron updates, offers and discounts, a monthly secret podcast, early access, and so much more. And that's really where I learned how to uh, record live music. You know what I'm saying? Most everything that we recorded or I've recorded before was always maybe a live guitar, maybe a live bass player. It was always a drum machine and a, you know, a keyboard. You know what I mean? Yeah. And when we recorded Dust, we took it to the elements. We had drummers. We had xylophone players. We had, uh, 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 we had this cat bring like a million different instruments with a crazy different sounds and we recorded all that and it, that was a really crazy experience because if you look at the people that were on that record there were so many different it was it was just weird it was just very unique and like every yeah. single song had a different had a different feel and a different vibe and they were all recorded different that's interesting. Give me a sense of, you know, the atmosphere and process working on Dust. What, what was a typical session like? Depending on who it was. Like, Mugs would find out, you know, who we're working with. What what do they like? What's their vice? What's their what's their, their go-to make them feel good type thing? So we always had that around, whatever that was, not getting into things. But... Oh, this person does. Ah, okay. Let's have this. Oh, this person likes this. Oh, okay. We're we're gonna make that vibe. It was a, it was always a vibe with mugs. It's, it, he'll have a vibe in the room. You know what I mean? Mm. It's just it, it, it's 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 never it's never just oh wow this is, you know it's it's always a vibe. 
you know, either incense or music or weed or, or whatever, whatever, you know, just the way the studio looked, how he would want it. He, you know, what he had on the walls, what drapes he had, uh, you know, it was just, you know, he, he would always like to create a vibe for the situation that we're in. Dope. Dope. Well, speaking of vibes, you've mentioned yourself playing instruments. What what was it like sharing a creative space with Jizza and playing live instruments on two tracks on Grandmasters? Um, I did, didn't I? I don't remember that, but I don't remember, I don't remember what I played. Well, Jizza was like I said. I, I at that time, um, Mugs would like to come in at night after everything was done and start to work. So like during the day. I would go and Jizza would be at the studio and then we would play a game of chess where he would just eat me alive every, every time. I, I like to play chess, but I was, I'm not, I'm not a chess player, but I could play chess. So just as a grandmaster and, and he would, he would be on the phone talking to somebody and we would just be just laughing at me and just eating me up. Like, every, so we would play a game of chess and then we would go in and, and we would record, we would record vocals. So, um, it was just an everyday thing. And then that one day it would just be me and him. Next day, Rizza would be in there. Next day, uh, 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 Ray Kwan would be there. Next day, it would be somebody else. Uh, one day, they all show up to listen to what's going on. You know, it was just, it was a vibe. Mm, mm. I love that you guys were playing chess before recording. <laughs> That's so dope. Yeah, we were playing. No, there was always a chessboard. Every, like with, 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 when Jizza was there, there was always a chessboard. And I played chess with, with my boy Fred Reck. You know, he yeah. always played chess, so he would always show me. But it, you know, it, not to that level. And that level was just something else. You know, that's what if you listen to the Grandmaster, that was the whole, the whole record was about chess. Yeah, yeah. You know, so we were always, we were always playing chess. We would play a game. You know, before he would laugh at me, and then wait till someone showed up who really knew how to play, and then you know, get his get his real game in who who was who was killing it who was crushing it in terms of um people playing against you on that chessboard outside of jizzle oh it would be it, it would be him and rizzo him and rizzo were the they, they were they were they would when they played that was a like that was a real game do you think that elevated those sessions do you think that tapped people in and made them more focused playing this game in advance of recording that's what they do that that's their lifestyle hmm. all the, 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 the because we called a grandmaster we tapped into that lifestyle so like i said mugs kind of sees what your vice is and kind of taps into it you know he he knows that they that's what that's what they do so that's kind of the vibe he wanted to set had chess boards everywhere you know what i mean and just just like oh okay so and it, that was just just how that was What are your recollections of working with Sick Jack in for Legend of the Mask and the Assassin? Jack is probably one of my favorite rappers, hands down. Um, first time I met Jack was um, after after the accident with his brother, and Cycle Realm was really not doing anything for a like a four or five year period. Right. And, um, 
Tony G was doing a, um, he had a, um, he was making a, he started a group with, uh, I would say it was, uh, it was uh, a kid named Slow Pain, a kid named ALT, um, um, and then a bunch of other Latin rappers, right? Right. Nino Brown, um, Nino Brown, um, and Jack was part of that group. You know, they, they brought him as part of that group, which was a different sound for Jack because that was more West Coast um, um, Tony G style beats. And he didn't really rap on that. He was very underground, like with 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 Cycle Realm. Very, but he opened up his 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 palette and started rapping on that type of stuff. And um, I did a song with him on that record, me and a, a keyboard player named Ronnie King. Yeah. Um, Ronnie King is a prolific keyboard player who, who played on numerous Tupac records, uh. like like hit like huge hit records. Like that's what that that was Ronnie King. He played a lot, but he was also he was Tony G's session go to um, keyboard player who was always around. Which, which records so he played? On- Just to jump in really quick, which records oh, are we wow. talking about? I, I can't even. Um, uh, I can't. I can't even tell big you. Big records, like uh, big records. They, they, they were big records. Um, who was who? Who was uh, uh, who was Tupac's Latin producer? I'm trying to think right now. Johnny J. So whatever Johnny J. did, right? Whatever Johnny J. did, um, usually he used Ronnie King as a keyboard player. So like Johnny J.'s records were huge, like. Uh, I can't even, I don't even know which ones he did, but they were huge. And those are the ones that Ronnie King played on. Uh, All About You, How Do You Want It, mm. um, uh, Felg Passion. I'm not sure, Picture Me Rolling. Uh, uh, probably Picture Me Rolling. I know he did that because he used to do a lot of work with Big Psych. Um, you know, he played so, something on most of those songs. So uh, me and him were at, actually at Muggs', Muggs' studio and we were working on music. Um, in the back room and that's where we created um, the song we did for Jack and um, and then we took it over to Tony Tony liked it he's oh yeah we'll put and then Jack liked it so Jack jumped on it and and uh, and we had this girl named Mercy singing on the hook and uh, uh, you know real LA record and uh, I just stayed in touch with Jack that whole time from there and we just be you know built a friendship so you know, it was easy when Muggs wanted to do a record with him. It, I was able to to kind of bridge that because you know Jack was more 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 around um, more around B real, not so much Muggs. Muggs didn't really have much to do with that record and their record. So when we brought him through, I was kind of the bridge, and like I was, I recorded that record also. What about working with Planet Asia and the old Bill? For pain language and kill devil hills. It w- that was all you know. It was kind of like one after the next, after the next, after the next, you know. And then really, um, um, Planet Asia and and the Sick Jackin were I think were recorded at around the same time. Planet Asia, another one of my just incredible, incredible MCs, you know. With with Asia, he would earn put the put the put the beat up. I'll put the beat up. He would smoke a joint and then lay down for about an hour and sleep. And then he would, when he would wake up, he would just have 
Just <laughs> it would just go, and it'd just be like we call him Sir Rap his face off. You know, he would just it's crazy, and then you know it was kind of around that same time. You know, you know, we just showed up, and you know, we we were using a program called Noendo at the time. Not very many people were using Noendo, and the, what gave me the hand the, the leg up was that Tony G was using Noendo and he showed me how to use, you know, I knew how to use Pro Tools, but Noendo was a different program that people were using on a PC. So Muggs ended up meeting somebody, one of his first engineers, uh, Rob Hill, um, was a, was a, he worked for, for Steinberg, Stein, yeah, Steinberg, and, and they're the creators of, of Noendo. So he brought the whole Noendo system. So, most people that were working on Pro Tools did not know how to use Noendo. And I did through Tony. So that kind of gave me like, oh, you know how to use Noendo? Yeah, well, come in, come and help me record. You know what I mean? So, and that's kind of where things started. Mashup Radio Volume 2. Big Earn Dog in the house, show. The whole Soul Assassin Committee. DJ Warrior. DJ Strong. Fred Rack Alchemist. Genius, I mean this. I shape this, you'll take this. I'm kind of fiendish. You wish that you could come into my neighborhood. Meaning my mental state. Still, I'm five foot eight. Crazy as I wanna be, cause I make it orderly. You could say I'm sort of the boss, so get lost. The brother who will make you change opinions. Dominions, I'm in them when it's time to kick shit from the heart. Cause I get a piece of the action. Feeling satisfaction from the street crowd reaction. Jump full guns when they feel afraid. Too late when they dip in the kick, they get sprayed. Lemonade was a popular drink and it still is. I get more props and stunts than Bruce Willis. A poet like Langston Hughes and can't lose when I cruise. Out on the expressway, leaving the bodega, I say suave. Premier's got more beats than Bonds got hate. Clips I've inserted into my gun so I can take the money, never have to run. To run. Darling, you got to let me know. Should I stay or should I go? If you say that you are mine, I'll be here till the end of time. I left my filly at home. Do you have another? 
I wanna get blunted, my brother. Now may I make a mark, then make a spark over this fat track. Or should I say dopey? Subtract, delete. All of the wit-whack that wanna be abstract But they lack the new knack that's coming from way, way back Hey yo, come here, please pass that Buddha sack You heard we quit? No way, bullshit I told you before, we come back with more hits I provide ripe flavor So you can sketch me Do me a favor, don't try to catch me Slightly ahead of the game, I'm not a lame Ask him, he'll tell you the same He knows my name, smooth I drop jewels like paraphernalia I'm informable, not into failure Like a rhinoceros My speed is prosperous And pure knowledge expands for my Yes, I write in the night to bring truth to the light. My dialogue is my own, this movie will never bite. Right. After the tour quits, I come back with more hoards. After the tour quits, I come back with more hoards. Darling, you got to let me know. Should I stay or should I go? If you say that you are mine. I'll be here till the end of time So you got to let me know Should I stay or should I go? Mashup Radio Worldwide, DJ Muggs In effect, baby, don't forget Muggs vs. The Jizzer, October 25th Grandmasters, Angeles Records Coming to a record store near you A bootlegger near you Do it like this, do it like that. Mashupradio.com, CalliantTouchables.com, DJMugs.com. If you want the, the like the the originating history of Soul Assassin Radio, and like I said, I can't. I'm only speaking on um, what I what I've heard or what what you know what, what's been told to me. Um, there was a station, I think, uh, KML, and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking it's KML in San Francisco. Um, they asked Muggs to do a show, just, just a one-off. And he did one show, and he called it Soul Assassins Radio. Um, you know, and that was a, a one-off in, in, the, in the Bay Area on KML. And... Um, um, you know, Muggs, Muggs will do it. And then, then he went back to producing and whatever, whatever else. And I think Be Real picked it up. Be Real and Bobo. Um, they picked it up and they kept it going. And I, I'm not sure if they did it also in the Bay. I'm not sure if, 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 if they did that show in the Bay Area. But when, when they brought it to L.A. and it, it came on the beat, on 92.3, the beat. And Be Real, Bobo, and they had a few other people. And they did that Soul Assassin radio uh, it came on before Julio G's show, which was Ruthless Radio, and or or it, it, it might have been post Ruthless Radio. It, I think to, uh, Julio was like the night DJ, and they their show their show was just like a, the hour before the Julio's show, and so you know. But Be Real and, and Bobo had that show Soul Assassin Radio going for a few years. Uh, you know, it was a different it was a different feel, a different, you know, it was just, it was them doing characters and playing music and, 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 you know, that going on. So once they were no longer on the radio, there was no more soul assassin radio. Um, then it came to mugs called me one day and he was like, um, can you help me, um, help me 
find some rock loops and and um, put rap vocals over them. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, I want to do this. I heard I heard this somewhere. I want to do this. I'm like, okay. So we started we started what what's called mashups. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. This is before before it, it was a big thing. Nobody knew about it. It was very, I, I, I can't remember where he heard it or, or what made him think of doing this, but he was like, Hey, let's do this. And I'm like, all right, cool. So, you know, I would grab my, my computer and, and he was living in the, in the Hills at the time. We go, go into his back room and we would just like, Hey, loop this record. Cool. A Zeppelin record. Hey, let loop, loop, loop this record. Oh, uh, um, uh, black Sabbath record, uh, chili peppers record, you know, Pink Floyd record. I, I knew how to use Nuendo, so I was able to go in there and make loops and 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 just do a big loop thing. And so then we would find acapellas. We we had to find because I was before like really before the internet, and and um, where you can go and download acapellas. We used to have to find the records. We I have to go through all his all. He had a massive record collection. And uh, would go through all his rap records and find out which records had acapellas. So we would pull the acapellas off the records, and we would, you know, we would loop them over these, these, uh, these uh, rock breaks, and kind of mash hip hop and rock. So we were doing a, we did a mixtape, and it just it got all over everywhere. So. Um, the biggest radio station in New York was um, K-Rock. I want to say it was K-Rock, right? That's where Howard Stern was. Right. And yeah. they um, they loved it. And they said, we, we want you guys to do a show for an hour of pure mashups. So that was, I think that was the first place to pick this up. And then it was it, after New York and we were on a Friday night. So this prime time Friday night in, in New York, we're playing mashups, uh, just creating sh shit nobody ever's ever heard. Incredible. So then after New York, I think, um, um, I want to say DC, a station in DC picked us up. Then a station in Arizona, the big rock station in Arizona picked us up. Then a big rock station in, um, in Seattle picked us up. So we, we were on probably around seven or eight syndicated channels on, on rock radio playing mashups okay and this was um um this is around the same time that sirius xm started right okay and eminem got a channel on sirius xm and paul rosenberg you know being in new york all the time was hearing us hearing our stuff and probably M2, you know, hearing the, uh, 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 the mashups we were doing in the primetime New York radio, he's like, I want you guys to do it here. Mm. So he gave us a, he gave, he was, no, we weren't getting paid for any of the other gigs. Those were just turning them in and just getting the exposure. But our first paycheck came from, 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 um, Eminem and shade four five. So we were doing mashup Mondays. So then I had to do a show for Mashup Mondays. I had to do the Shade 4 or 5 show, which we can allow cursing and we could talk and everything could be. And then I had to do one 
or terrestrial radio where there's no cursing. So a lot of times I would make a mistake and leave a curse word in and it, it happened maybe one too many times. And so like most of the terrestrial radio kind of fired. Well, we, I think we'll, I think we only got fired from one station, which was the, uh, was the Las Vegas station. All the other stations kind of just changed their programming and didn't keep us on, you know what I'm saying? But I remember that time that we got fired or, you know, we got fired from the Vegas radio station, which we were getting a lot of gigs from. They would, they would hire mugs to come DJ at a bunch of rock rock shows in Vegas because of the mashups. Um, but they weren't paying us and it just, <laughs> you know, we lost them. So now I only had to concentrate on shape four five. So we were doing a Monday night shape four five, which is, which is broadcast across the country through Canada you know, wherever, you know, you can get satellite radio. And um, we did mashup radio for probably two or three years. You know, I would do all, I would create all the mashups. He would give me, hey, let's do this. Let's do this. Give me ideas. And I would put all the production work together for that. And uh, he would come in and, and uh, just talk over the, talk over the, um, over the breaks. And, you know, that's how we did that show. And then uh, it kind of evolved from that. Because, um, you know, mashups started getting corny. Everybody started doing them. Um, now now you have um, Linkin Park and Jay-Z doing it, and every station's playing mashups. So now it's not a it's not a niche thing anymore. And Muggs don't like to do really stuff that everybody's doing. Yeah. If everybody's doing it, well, he's going to turn left and try, try something else. You know what I mean? So at that time, we, uh, we told uh, the station we're going to start playing hip hop. And, um, reef reef was, uh, was our, our go-to person there. Um, reef was like, okay, what are you guys going to call it? So, um, we're like soul assassin radio, the West wing. We actually call it, we, we kind of put a little touch to it. That way it's not just soul assassin radio. So nobody would be upset about it. Um, so, um, this was around the time when Muggs was about to go on tour with, uh, he's going on tour with Mixmaster Mike, and um, then he has a tour with Qbert. So he wanted to get his chops, like, you know, he really, you know, Muggs DJs when he has to DJ, but when he does, he'll sit there for hours and just sharpen, 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 because he likes making music more, more than anything. But at that time, um, there was a big a, a, a DJ from LA. His name is Mr. Chalk. He was from Power Wars from power 106 he did a lot of things and it was funny um i was walking to the liquor store i was walking to the liquor store and there's a major street i have to cross and i seen him in his car and i was like chalk and he looked at me he said what's up dog? i'll hit you back i'm like all right cool and i was like mugs is looking for you he's what i'm like yeah mugs is looking for you he want you know he wants you to come by i'm like all right I'll, i'll call you and he had a car full of records. I think he was going to take his records over to Amoeba Records to get some money to, you know, to sell some records. And uh, he came by the studio and, and Muggs just needed him to, to you know, to, to sh- practice. So they were practicing and practicing and practicing. And then Muggs was like, do you want to, we're going to, we're going to switch over to hip hop. Do you want to host the show? You know, while you're here, you know, you're not, he wasn't on the radio at the time where it wasn't doing anything on the radio anymore. And so Chalk, Mr. Chalk was like, hell yeah. So he came in and we switched it from mashups 
back to hip hop. And he helped me learn how to program hip hop and how to program a, sh uh, um, a hip hop radio show. From what I was doing, I was programming the mashup show, but which, which was kind of similar to what we were doing with the hip hop show. But I kind of learned from, a, you know, a veteran. He was, you know. Shouts to Beat uh, Junkies. Uh, 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 yeah, Beat Junkies. And, and, and you know, uh, with him, with him being part of the show, the Beat Junkies were always there. Um, we had all the con the radio connections through him, so we were able to build the foundation of Soul Assassins Radio with his help and with Bugs's connections and with, with Chalk's connections. It just became really, you know, a, a, you know that name Soul Assassins is very strong, so it, it it carried a lot of weight. So that was kind of the creation or the beginning beginning blocks of, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Soul Assassins Radio as it is today. And then we moved it. Um, then, then you know, Muggs trying to, you know, the innovator. Create. Every year he would come to me, Earn, we got to change the show. I don't want it to sound the same anymore. It's got to do this. We got to completely change the show. And, you know, and that was just him. He would never, he would never wants to stand on anything that sounds the same. He just, he, could, he does not like, you know, um, being complacent or being, you know, he's just very like, what's next? I'm bored of this. What can we do now? And so I, one of his trips to New York, I'm not sure if it was New York or it was England, but I think it was New York. Um, uh, he's seen, he's seen a, um, a, a, a radio station in the window. I think it was New York, like on, on in, in, in Manhattan. And, and they were on the street and all the people are walking by. And he was like, oh, that shit is incredible. And he was like, how can we do that? And then uh, um, this was at the time when... Uh, he was starting to build the Soul Assassin brand as a clothing brand. Right. So one of his partners in that clothing brand um, also knew the guys at Backside because Backside was a, um, was a, a, you know, clothing store and record store in the city of Burbank, right there in Old Town, which had a big window front. So we had Muggs that did a big build out, a big Soul Assassin brand build out in that store. And then he seen the window and, and, you know, I'm not sure what the conversation was or how it was, but he told me, Ern, we're going to do the show live from back, which not live because we pre-taped it. Um, we're going to do the show from there. We had already done shows. Uh, a backside was a unique store. They had like a upstairs that overlooked the whole store. So we had done listening parties there. We had done concerts like, like we, Ill Bill there. We had Bamboo there. We had Sick Jack there perform you know, the songs, the, uh, uh, whatever record we were working on. And the kids would come and they would all stand around down in the store and it would be a vent. So that was where, I guess that was where the first connection with Backside came. And then when he, when he thought about doing the, the, you know, doing the show in front of a, in front of the window, that's where that, that came. We're going to do it here. What is it going to take? Well, it's going to take this, it's going to take that. We, we had Astro. Astro was a, a, a equipment, a DJ equipment store in Burbank that sponsored us and set up the whole, you know, show there. And so we just we just pre-taped the show, but as a live show, it was when we started the beginning of the hour, it would go, it would go to the end of the hour. You know what yeah. I mean? Then we just take a break. Then we would do the next hour, like live mixing. Stop, you know, never stop the mixing. Put a beat on have interviews and it would be done right there in a in a hip-hop record store with hip-hop gear 
and right on the street. So there was always kids coming in. If they if they knew somebody was performing, we would have a huge crowd. It, it was it was different. Nobody was doing that I mean, except for whoever that was in New York. Nobody was doing that out here. You know, it would, once again, it was just something different. And so, you know, you were able to watch us record the show live. That was revolutionary back then. Like you said, nobody else was doing it to be able to make this an immersive experience and invite people from the culture to come through, pull up, experience what you're doing. That's that's incredible. Yes. 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 And, you know, Chalk had a lot to do with that. Uh, there, not, at, that at that time, then we uh, also included uh, a DJ named Vic One. Right. Vic One also started helping us out, and he started bringing. He was on Power 106 at the at, at the okay. time, so he started bringing his Power 106 DJs, and you know we started creating a little bit of a different sound, more of a West Coast, more of a not not the sound that we have today. It kind of shifted because at that time, music was a little different. Also, you know what was really going on was, you know, a little bit different. Do you have a favorite guest who's pulled up and appeared on a show? Oh, I don't know. We've had so many. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot. We've had so many. I, I don't. I we've had so many, bro. I can't. I can't tell you who my favorite yeah. guest was. Uh, uh, we had um, Schoolboy Q. Nice. Um, was crazy. Dom Kennedy. When Dom Kennedy did the show, it was crazy. Uh, this was at Backside. This is when people showed up to, right. to, uh, to, um, to show. Um, we had a kid named Logic. Um, when he showed up, the store was just crazy. Um, I mean, with so many, you know, I, I can't even. It's like it's a show every. Imagine, imagine me trying to. I do. I've been doing the show for. Uh, I, I don't. I, I want to say eighteen years. Wow. And uh, it's it's been every week. We have not missed a week for that time. So. We've had so many it's guests from pick one. Yeah, just pick one. You know, they've always been there. You know, they're always been really super dope. Hey, all you stone motherfuckers, you coke sniffers, you whiskey drinkers. There are other DJs on other radio shows, but who gives a fuck? From producer DJ Muggs, it's Soul Assassins Radio. Kick rocks, you fuckboy. Welcome to Shade 45. Now go fuck yourself. I wish I could show my appreciation for this podcast. I wish I could respond to it somehow or be notified in the future when Fly Fidelity updates because it's so great. But I don't think there's a way I can do any of those things. Uh-oh. You're wrong. <laughs> Subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud and never miss an episode. Find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. My people thought you whipped me where you were!